And now we will read from Scripture. We're going to read from Galatians 5, verses 16 through 26, if you would like to take a moment and turn there. And I know some people think that reading the Bible is kind of a boring, dull kind of thing, but it's really not. It's an incredible book that's alive. It's a two-edged sword. It's living. It's active. And most of all, it's God's holy and inerrant word. And so please follow along as we read again Galatians five sixteen through 26. It says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you were led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of rage, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray together. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the testimony that we heard of your work in Brian's life, um, and we thank you that you are at work in this place. Um, We pray that the gifts, the tithes, and the offerings that we have just collected would... um, would be used for the furthering of your work in this place and throughout the world, that you would um, use these gifts uh, to reveal your kingdom here and throughout the world in order that the good news of the gospel would be proclaimed to all the nations. And as we ourselves prepare to sit beneath your word, we pray that you would help us. This same gospel that we long to see go out into all the nations, into the whole world, we need that same gospel. And so we pray that by your Spirit, you would come and lead us, that you would come and reveal to us this good news this very morning. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Right now, children, uh, ages three to first grade, you're dismissed to Children's Church. So, you make your way to the back, you'll be taken to your class. Uh, This morning, we've been in a a series on, uh, through Paul's letter to the Galatians for a few months now. And this morning we come to the passage in Galatians, which I would think probably contains what are the most famous verses of the book of Galatians, where Paul talks about the fruit of the Spirit. Um, And and here's what I want us to do. Um, You know, I'll probably 
do a little bit more teaching than preaching this morning, but my prayer will be that it will certainly become preaching at, at some point. But here, here's what I want to do with this passage. I want to give us a kind of overview of, of this passage, and then over the next few weeks, I want us to take time um, to dig deeper into what Paul called the fruit of the Spirit here. And so, this will kind of be like, a, for the next few weeks, it'll kind of be like a series within our series on Galatians. And, and here's why I want us to do this. It has become, I think, very easy for us uh, to confuse doing good um, and being religious um, or being moral with Christianity. Um, but the truth is, we can do lots of good things, um, and we can be religious, and we can uh, be very moral uh, for lots of reasons that have nothing to do with Jesus, that have nothing to do with His kingdom. Um, you, fear can drive us um, to be moral and good, or, or, or pride, or self-centeredness, or even a desire to gain control or power over others can be driving us to be good and moral. But Christianity is different. Christianity is different than simply being good or moral. Um, The author C.S. Lewis wrote that Christianity isn't about merely making uh, moral improvements. He said that Christianity is not about making people nicer. Um, Christianity, he wrote, is about redemption. It's about the turning of creatures into sons of the living God. See, what he was saying is, he's saying it's not about producing um, better men and women of the old kind, uh, but producing an entirely new kind of creation, a new kind of man or woman. And Paul wants us to know in this passage that when the Spirit brings the gospel into your heart, do you know what I mean by that? When, when the Spirit comes and He wakes you up to see your sin and to see that Jesus came and He died and He rose again for you, when He wakes you up to that reality, He's saying, it brings about dramatic and authentic and real and deep change in your life. He makes... He makes you a new creature, right? And he brings you, he brings into your life an entirely new motivation and a new dynamic for change than you've ever experienced anywhere else in life. We, we don't have a good place for this at our current house in Memphis, but before, when we lived in Mississippi, we had a, a great yard uh, for planting a garden, and so we planted a garden in our backyard, and it wasn't extremely complicated work, um, but clearly more was involved than just waking up and saying, let's have a garden today. Um, you know, th- there were things that we had to learn, like, you know, what time of the year do you plant certain fruits or vegetables or whatever? Um, you know, what, uh, which plants need full sunlight? Which ones need partial sunlight? We learned about seed depths and all this kind of stuff for the different plants, um, which products to protect the garden from insects, all that kind of stuff. And, you know, not incredibly complicated is what I'm saying, but clearly more was involved than just saying, 
we would like a garden today. Poof, there's a garden in our backyard. There was some work that was involved. There's nothing particularly complicated about this metaphor that Paul used, the fruit of the Spirit. I mean, you, can, you just hear those words. You know what he's talking about. He's talking about internal. We know about organic fruit, right? Or, organic everything. That's really expensive. Organic growth and change, um, a character change, inside-out type of transformation. But there are some really important questions for us to answer. I mean, how is it that this fruit is cultivated in our lives? How do we participate in its cultivation? Uh, in what environment does this fruit really grow best? Uh, what kind of process should we expect to see in our lives? Um, these are some questions that we need to answer. And so, I want us to talk through three things this morning. First, bearing this fruit is not optional if you're a believer. The seed of the gospel, when it comes into your life, when it lands in the soil of your heart, it always produces this fruit that Paul is talking about. It's not optional. And then second, I want us to talk about bearing or produ- how bearing or producing this fruit, it is really, really difficult work. Right, a significant, and a significant reason for the difficulty of this work is that this work and this fruit, it, it, it's, not, it's not external kind of behavior stuff. It, it's grown at the level of our desires and not simply our behaviors. And then third, the third thing I want to talk with you about this morning is, is how bearing this fruit has to be practiced. And it's practiced in the context of community and as you intentionally live inside of the gospel story. So it's not optional, it's difficult, and it's practiced. So first, bearing the fruit of the Spirit is not optional if you're a believer. Probably the most obvious thing in this passage as you read through it is the striking contrast that's here, okay? And the contrast is between the acts of the sinful nature and the fruit of the Spirit, the contrast between those who inherit, will inherit the kingdom of God and those who live by the Spirit. As, and Paul is showing you that the, there's this contrast here. And the contrast works because Paul is saying that the Spirit consistently produces this same remarkable, unique character in God's people, right? This fruit isn't just for some Christians. It is for all Christians, right? Notice in verse 22 that Paul, he wasn't describing the fruits, plural, of the Spirit, but the fruit, singular, of the Spirit, This isn't just literary nitpicking, and Paul didn't make a mistake here and forget to put the S there, right? He's making a point. He's writing about one fruit that the Spirit produces wherever he goes. So think about it like this. Paul is holding up before us this beautiful diamond with all its different facets, right? And with each description of the fruit of the Spirit, he's turning the diamond, so that you can see another facet, so that you can see this one fruit from a different angle. If you turn it like this, you see love. But then look at it from this angle, and you see self-control. And then from this angle, you see faithfulness. It's one fruit. It's one thing that Paul is talking about. And this, here's what this means. This means that not only is the fruit not optional if you're a believer, but also none of the facets are optional to you either right? They all come together. And that means 
that if you aren't growing in all of these, then you aren't growing in any of these. They all come together, right? And this is what makes this fruit so remarkable and so beautiful and attractive and unique in God's people. Those who have the Spirit are growing in love and, self, and self-control at the same time and faithfulness and gentleness at the same time. You know, one of the things that was remarkable to me about visiting Uganda this past week or so um, was to see how incredibly different life is for our poor brothers and sisters throughout the world. Um, drinking water that I've, I first, I honestly first thought it was chocolate milk when I saw it. It, it was, the, you could not see, impossible to see through it. It was so dirty. No shoes, no electricity, um, li- a family living in an eight by eight little hut, you know, they, they sweep, I, I was, <laughs> I, you have to see this. They, they make these little brooms out of some of the grasses and they, they have dirt floors and they sweep the dirt floors. And I'm like, you're sweeping dirt off the dirt floor. I, I don't, I don't get it. But, um, everything was so different about their lives, Right. And we all have some experience of this in our lives, right? We meet someone, and at first we can't, it's like we can't see that we have anything in common with this other person who is, you know, so culturally, so socioeconomically in a different position, so experientially. They don't have the same experiences of life or personally or racially. They're different from us. But if that person is a Christian, we immediately find this deep, intimate connection. And why is that? Because we all come into God's kingdom the same way, by the same Spirit, right? The Spirit brings conviction of sin, and He wakes us up to see Jesus as Savior and make Him real to us. And we see that Jesus did all we need and everything we need right? Everything has been done for us to know that we are forgiven and loved and accepted. And when the Spirit makes that good news real to us, right, He begins to cultivate this fruit in our lives. The same fruit that the Spirit is working to cultivate in our lives, He is cultivating throughout the world, right? Irrespective of race or personality or personal history or baggage or culture, yeah, I remember when all of our kids were little, little kids, and they were first learning to talk and making sounds and that sort of thing. We used to play these kind of games with them where we were teaching them the animal sounds, you know. So we would say, what does a cow say? And they would, you know, cutely reply, moo, you know, or what does a dog say, woof, woof. What does a cat, a cat, meow. What does a duck say, quack. You know, all that stuff. Hopefully you know what I'm talking about. I don't, have to, I don't think I have to go into much more detail about that. Um, but look, it, it, it's a good game to play with kids as you're teaching them, them these things um, for, for one very simple reason. It's predictable, right? Cows always say moo. Dogs always bark. Ducks always quack. Cats always meow, right? There aren't some cows that moo and some that bark, right? That would be very confusing to teach children that way. Um, 
it's predictable because, and this is it, because it's in those animals' respective natures to make those sounds. So cows moo, dogs bark, all that. No one taught them to do any of it, right? It's just in their nature. To be a Christian is to have the spirit of the living God, of the living Christ, in you. And I'll show you this in weeks to come, but the fruit of the Spirit is rightly called by some scholars um, a character sketch of Jesus. And if the living Jesus has come to live inside of you by His Spirit, and if He has given us a new nature, and He's not just trying to make us better or improve our behavior, but if He's actually making us a new kind of man or a new kind of woman, if that's true then he's going to change you, and he's going to change you from the inside out. And he's going to transform your life, and he's going to shape you to look more like Jesus. It's not optional. God gives us a new nature that produces this unique fruit. Now, let me give you just two qualifiers before we move on to the second point. First, when we planted our garden at our house, it took time for it to grow. It took a long time for it to grow. This, what we're talking about here is not instantaneous growth, and it won't be perfected until Jesus comes again. But listen, what I'm saying is that this is a process that takes a lot of time for this fruit to be cultivated. Okay, when we grew our garden, right, plants were growing, you know, plants were growing even before they ever broke the surface and we could see them, right? And, and it's possible that this fruit in your life it, it might be at times, it, it might seem imperceptible in your life, but give it time. And it does take a long time for this fruit to grow. Feed by faith on Jesus, just like a plant feeds on water and sunlight and the nutrients in the soil. And this is God's promise. This fruit will grow in your life, even if it does take a long time. Second thing, second qualifier, these descriptions of the fruit of the Spirit they aren't descriptions of natural temperaments. And we need to be very careful of understanding that. This fruit is supernatural. Right? A guy named John Sanderson, I meant to put a quote on the bulletin from him, but I, I forgot. Anyway, he wrote a great book on this. Um, and I, I, and you, you really see this um, as each facet of the fruit grows at the same time, right? Your temperament in life might be naturally gentle, or meek, and you want everybody around you to kind of get along and be nice. You don't really like conflict or whatever, but that's not the gentleness that Paul's talking about, because the gentleness Paul is talking about, it grows with radical self-control at the same time, and it grows with faithfulness that is uncompromising when it comes to the truth, even when that truth hurts. Or, or you look at it from the opposite direction, right? You, you know people like this. You might be one of these people who just thrive in conflict, right? And you love to boldly just tell people how it is, right? And so you might think, well, I, I got the faithful commitment to truth down, right? But that's not what Paul is talking about here because he's talking about a faithfulness and a commitment to truth that is growing at the same time as love and peace and joy and gentleness are also flourishing. This is a supernatural production of the Spirit, um, and we'll flesh that out more as we go. But this fruit bearing is not optional if you're a believer. Um, God sent His Spirit to make us new, 
new creatures. Second thing, cultivating and bearing this fruit is difficult, okay? It's not easy. It's difficult. It's a hard struggle. Um, But the source of the fruit, it's the Spirit Himself, right? But we are active participants in the cultivation of it, and that participation is very difficult. So Paul described this, um, this participation in our lives as a conflict. He described it as a war or a battle, right, in verse uh, 17. The sinful nature, he's saying, and the Spirit, they are opposed to each other. They are in conflict with one another. What Paul is pointing to us to is this. When you become a Christian, when the Spirit of Jesus comes to live in you, you receive this new nature, but you still have an old nature that is pulling and clawing at you, and it's been defeated in your life, but it's like an addiction that keeps trying to reassert its control in your life. And it's a particularly difficult conflict because it's waged at the level of desire in our lives. Right? The fruit itself is internal, joy, peace, patience, and so on. The Spirit is not just after what you do. The Spirit of Jesus is after who you are. Right? When Paul described the fruit of the Spirit at the end of verse 23, he wrote that against such things there is no law. Right, listen, the law is good, but the law can't get to your heart. Right, the the law can't change you internally. It can't change your desires. The law can't stop you from coveting. The law can't stop you from jealousy or sexual lust. The law can't make you joyful, kind, and patient. So why does Paul say that against such things, joy, peace, all all the all this description of the fruit, against such things, there is no law. Why does he say that? Because as we become these things internally, you are going to keep the law externally in your life. If you are full of joy, no matter the circumstances in life, then you won't seek to unlawfully take and steal from others. Right? If you are growing in faithfulness, then you won't feel the need to lie and deceive others. If you are growing in self-control, then you won't commit adultery, right? But Paul is telling us that cultivating the fruit of the Spirit is difficult because there's a battle inside of us between two competing desiring, desire systems. Two competing desire systems. And you see this in verse 16 and 17. The Spirit has desires, but the flesh also has desires. And they are each desiring in different directions, Right? They are competing desire systems. And that's why there is this difficult conflict in the life of a believer and why sometimes, verse 17, many times we would say, you do not do what you want because of this conflict between these desires. I'm going to mention this just briefly, but try to spend some time on it later because this is, this is incredibly profound and you need to work it out. Uh, meditate on verses 16 and 18 because those verses are parallel verses. See, living by the Spirit is the same thing as being led by the Spirit. And not gratifying the desires of the flesh is the same thing as not being under the law. This means that if we are gratifying... Follow me here. This means that if we are gratifying the desires of the flesh in our life, it is because we are in some way under the law. The Spirit sets us free to obey out of a new identity in Jesus... But the flesh puts us under the law 
and says you have to obey this law to get an identity. Let me illustrate this in my own personal experience. What's the, what's the worst day of the week for preachers? It's Monday, right? Because it's the day after I stand up here and I do all this stuff, and I get really insecure on Mondays, right? Um, and, you know, I, I think about I, I really want people to like me. I want them to approve of me. Um, uh, and that makes my Mondays difficult sometimes, right? Because um, I think about, oh, I should have said that or I shouldn't have said that. Um, you know, all kinds of things like that are going on in my mind, and I start thinking, I look out my window and I see that guy drive by with the garbage truck and I'm like, I wonder how much he gets paid. Um, because, <laughs> but you know, I mean, I just I felt like people were disinterested, all that kind of stuff, you know, and I wanted them to like me, but now, and then if I start running with it a little bit in my life, right, I, I start to feel like, gosh, I don't know if I even matter. You know, and if it was a bad Sunday, I'm like, gosh, I, I just... I don't feel significant. I feel very insecure. And I start spiraling, spiraling down. Why, why do I do that? Because just like you, I'm tempted to look at the things I do in order to get my identity, right? And how well I performed um, and what I was able to accomplish or, or, or do. And I have to engage in a very difficult conflict in that moment on Mondays, right? I have to remind myself of all the things I was trying to preach the day before, right? I have to remind myself that the things I do or don't do aren't what give me my identity, right? My identity is in Jesus, not my abilities or not my achievements. Only when I engage in that difficult kind of internal war uh, and conflict within me will I begin to see this fruit of the Spirit cultivated in my life. You see, the flesh rises up within us to say, here's the law, right? Only if you can improve your social status or earn enough money, maybe that's the law, or acquire enough power or be moral enough or be a better parent, only if you do those things well enough can you know your life has meaning and value and importance, right? Only if you accomplish these things will you be able to finally rest And believe that you are lovable. Because look at what you've done, right? It's obedience to something or or, or to anything to achieve an identity. But the Spirit, Paul is telling you, desires in another direction. Right? The Spirit works to assure you that you already have an an untouchable identity. You already have an an untouchable identity value and significance and importance. You are already loved because of Jesus. And the Spirit is working to get us to live out of that identity. And when you can, please hear this, when you can really rest in that identity, it starts pouring out of your life in love, in joy, in peace, in patience, in gentleness, in kindness, in self-control, in faithfulness. We, we are enabled to talk back to that temptation to achieve an identity in our lives. And we are able to say, no, I already have an untouchable identity in Jesus. I don't have to work to get an identity anymore. And I'm asking you, are you engaged in that kind of difficult internal conflict 
that deep internal battle because it is a difficult struggle. Okay, last thing, and we'll try to go through this pretty briefly, but the, to cultivate this fruit that we're talking, going to talk about in this passage, it has to be practiced, okay? And I want you to see that we have to practice two things, okay? Two things primarily in this passage that I want to point out. We have to first realize something, practice realizing something, and then second, we have to practice walking with someone. Okay, first you need to practice realizing something. In verse 24, Paul wrote, those who belong to Christ Jesus have have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. And it's very important that that's in the past tense. Okay, if we belong to Jesus, Paul was saying, we have already crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Paul is saying that we have to realize that we are united to Jesus. And that is how decisive, the decisive blow to guilt and the power of sin was dealt with in the past at the crucifixion. And if you belong to Jesus, you are united to him in that decisive moment. If you are engaged in this difficult battle and struggle and conflict, you are at times, many times, going to fall and fail. And Paul was very clear about that in verse 17, right? He, he writes that they are in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want. And not if, but when you fail, what do you need to practice? You need to practice realizing, remembering, believing again that the decisive blow to guilt and the power of sin has already been dealt with at the cross. Oscar Coleman, he was a Lutheran theologian in Germany during the Second uh, World War, and he illustrated life in the Spirit with the events of that war. And he spoke of how the decisive um, intervention of the Allied forces uh, happened on D-Day in 1944, right? And that decisive intervention took place one year before the coming of VE Day, which was the end of the war in Europe in 1945. But in the in-between time, there was a lot of blood spilt, and the battle was fierce, and it was raging. Even though the decisive event and the decisive turning point of the conflict had already occurred, right? In the midst of the conflict in our lives the severe and painful skirmishes that we have with sin in our lives, right? You have to realize who you are in Jesus. The V-Day is yet to come, but it is assured. You already have an untouchable identity in Jesus. And listen, this is far more difficult than it just sounds to practice realizing this. Because in your moment of failure, right, doing what you don't want to do, do you know what happens? The old desire system in your life, it is ready and waiting to pounce in your life. And it's ready to say, look, you are a failure, right? There's no way God could love you. There's no way you could be accepted. You better try harder to make God happy with you and love you, right? And all that is, is just more identity through achievement. So to live this, you have to practice realizing the truth of the gospel. To say to yourself, I am loved by grace, I have an identity in Jesus that is completely secure. It can't be touched. And I need to live out of that identity because when I do, that's when love, joy, peace, and patience, and so on begin flowing from my life.
And then second, second thing you need to practice is you need to practice walking with someone. Verse 25 and 26, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Um, Here's what I want to point out. You cannot effectively bear fruit alone in this life. You just can't. We, plural, Paul is saying, are to live by the Spirit. Corporately and community, we, plural, keep in step with the Spirit. And then in the last verse, Paul hits that chord again by encouraging us to live without conceit and not provoking one another and envying one another. That's a communal kind of thing, community. You can't live as you are meant to live in the Spirit individually. Peace, patience, kindness, all those things, they only happen in context of community. So how are you practicing that? How are you really involved with other believers in your life, walking with them as you walk with the Spirit? Um, You've got to do it. Uh, We have, uh, at our church here, we do community groups that meet kind of a trimester deal, right? Fall, kind of spring, winter, and then the summer. And so they're about to end right now, but they're going to start again in the summer. Join one of those because it's a small group where we're trying to do this where we are doing this, and these things are happening. You, you can't live this life alone. You just can't. But there's another someone that you have to walk with too. We are to walk by the Spirit. We are to walk with Him. We are to walk after Him. We are to be led by the Spirit. Look, all of us are going to struggle with that old desire system that keeps trying to assert its control, just like an addiction in our lives, right? And, and it's going to try to put us under the law to achieve the identity that we want. So, listen, even in a church. That means this can very quickly become, I attend church, I volunteer, I tithe, um, I try to be moral and good, so I must be a Christian. Um, That's not true. Right? You can be those things for lots of different reasons. Paul is saying here that we fight against that kind of pull of our hearts to say, because I do these things, I must be okay. He's saying we fight against that by practicing a real deep relationship with God. We walk with the Spirit. Right? If you want to bear this fruit, you have to foster a deep, intimate relationship with God, with the God who loves you and gives you this identity. Only then will you, will you, will you see this fruit begin to flow in your lives. Listen. Many of you, you know that I worked on a couple of university campuses before I, I came here to pastor this church, and uh, I was working as a campus minister. And as a result, I saw a lot of students uh, fall in love and end up getting married and got to uh, officiate a lot of those weddings in my time. And, but here's what would happen on, on the campus, and maybe this happened to you too, um, even if it wasn't on campus. But... Um, you know, so a guy and a girl, a young man, young woman, whatever, they would, uh, they would get to know each other. And then he would ask her out on a date or something like that. And then one date would become more dates. And then they're going out on a few dates a week sometimes. And then they start being obnoxious to all their roommates because they got to talk on the phone all the time to him or her, right? And they would start making all their plans around the plans of the other, you know? What are you going to do over fall break or spring break? I I don't know. I have to find out what she's going to do or what he's going to do, right? And it was amazing to see how those relationships had the power to change. Like, 
I went into some dorm rooms of some guys, and the the level of filth that was there was, I mean, it, it was like, I, I felt like I needed to go home and get like a tetanus shot after visiting some of these places. But, um, but you know, when they found somebody that they really loved, it was funny how they started like cleaning up incredibly. Like, their apartment or whatever became really clean because she might be coming by later, right? And they would get their work done, their homework done, so that they could go out, right? And they would become very motivated to finish school at some point and actually get a job so that they could marry this girl. Um, and girls started, like, they were wearing those, like, shorts that had words on the, you know, the back through campus. But then, like, they started kind of dressing up nicer to go to class and stuff. And, um, and you know, they started getting very obnoxious with their friends because they would just all the time be talking about this guy. And they, they would start pulling away from their sorority because they saw how much it was taking their time away from being able to spend with him, right? And here's what I'm saying. is in the context of relationship with the one you love and the one who loves you, that you change. It happens in the context of real, and you have to foster that. You have to practice that. It can't be neglected. Are you praying? Are you studying God's Word? Are you pondering the mysteries of the gospel? On my last day, and when I was preaching in Uganda, I had this interesting experience. Um, you know how we sometimes like clap after people sing a song or something like that? They would clap after the w- Word of God was read and after it was preached, right? They they were just so hungry for it, right? I I went with this team. There there was four of us, and one of the members on this team was there to do some medical stuff. So a lot of people came to the kind of conference thing. I don't even know what we called it, but, you know, that we did for the medical stuff. And they were kind of sitting in the same room while I was teaching everybody else, and sometimes it got really noisy in there because they were talking about who gets to go see the doctor next or whatever. And in the middle of my preaching, this young guy just stands up, <laughs> and I was like, we don't do that in America. Just <laughs> You're making me nervous. Um, and, uh, <laughs> and so he, he, I mean, he's like, you know, maybe 19, 18, 19, something like that. And he was very, very kind the way that he did this, but there was this just earnest pleading in his voice, right? I mean, he was, so, he was gentle about it. But he just stood up and he said, he said, can we please be quiet? I'm just trying to learn about my God. And I'm telling you, look, I mean, are you like that? Are we like that? That we are just so hungry to hear of his love for us that we so want to know Him and know what He's like and be in a relationship with Him. I mean, when you do that, when you get that way, that will change you because relationships always change you. Let's pray together. Father, we thank You this morning for all that we have gotten to participate in this time, even though we've run a little bit long this morning, we, we thank you for it, the baptisms and the testimony and hearing your word. Um, Father, we thank you for your scriptures, which tell us in the very beginning that this fruit-bearing world that you made, uh, it was given away to thorns and thistles when we fell into sin. But thank you for the good news of the gospel. 
that Jesus came and he took the thorns and the thistles on his brow on the cross. And he did it to make the world and to make us fruitful again. Father, help us that we might walk with one another, that we might walk with you, that we might be engaged in this difficult battle of desires in order that we might see fruit, the fruit of your Spirit, grow in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.